Hello there. This is Connie Myers with Kick Butt Leadership. And I am so excited about the guest we have joining us today. Um, she was referred to me by a really wonderful lady. And her name is Karen Walker. And she is actually one of the original people that created Compact Computers. And uh, so in the last few years she's gone on, she has one team consulting and she's just written a fabulous book called No Dumbing Down. So Karen, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast and this video. Connie, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. So I'm going to start with the very first question I ask everybody. Um, were you a leader as a child? I am the oldest of four and I was raised in Texas, so there was no way not to be a leader. I come by this quite honestly. <laughs> so how many of those skills that you learned being the, the oldest of four? I'm actually the oldest of four as well. Um, how many of those skills that you learned uh, with your siblings are you still using today? Um, almost all of them. In fact, I wish I had some of the skills I have today back when I was a child uh, <laughs> trying to be the oldest of four when we were all living under the same roof. Um, I would say one of the things is, is, you know, any skills overused or weaknesses, right? Um, but one of the skills that I um, picked up uh, as a child was was really about independence. Um, and I think that really does come from growing up in Texas. But uh, my husband will tell you that's one I overuse from time to time. Uh, <laughs> but I definitely um, use those skills today. And I, and I think that's true for all leaders, right? You 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 come to your work, whatever it is, with... Um, all the parts that make you up, and uh, our childhoods were uh, were um, a big big component of who we are today. Absolutely, absolutely. So, how did you? Um, well, first of all, what's a little bit of your high your education background? Yeah, so uh, you started to say high school. I will uh, fill in that gap. Uh, my high school was the Friday Night Lights High School. So I grew up in the oh. Permian in the Permian Basin, where there's nothing really but sand and oil, and a lot of really nice people. Not too many, but a few really nice people because there's not very not very many people there. And uh, so I was, you know, all caught up in uh, in high school football. Uh, and but I went to I went to Texas A and M. I got a degree in engineering, uh, which I am thrilled about. Um, it really taught me how to think in a way that. Um, is sort of compatible with my nature, but sort of honed that. And um, then um, later in life, um, I went to Columbia and took some uh, classes. In fact, got a, uh, went through their ODHRM program to sort of get the theory behind the skills that I had um, around, around leading and developing leaders. So how did you get involved with Compact Computers? Were, were you on the engineering side or were you on some other part? I own some other part, and this is just an amazing story when I look back on the fact that I, I, I did that. But I was uh, in my early 20s. I'd been working at a, like a big Fortune 100 company for about a, well, a couple of years. And I noticed these people I really admired and thought a lot of leaving this big company and going to work for this little startup down the street. Now, back in the day, there weren't a lot of little startups down the street. It wasn't like like it is today. Tech startups just were a, a much rarer commodity. But anyway, um, I, I inquired about what they were doing and they talked to me and we had, they hadn't announced any products yet. So I was um, not, I went there not knowing what the product was. 
Uh, but I went because the people that were there I respected so much. And the three guys that founded Compaq were, were amazing leaders. Uh, and I went, um, you know, as a party of one. Um, and I was the vice president of operating services. And I went from my, my little party of one to running a global organization where I was in charge of all the, the global physical infrastructure, uh, leading hundreds of people and thousands of consultants and contractors um, all over the world. And it, I mean, it was amazing. It was like every day you went to work and you couldn't do enough, you couldn't grow fast enough, you couldn't develop enough. Uh, and everybody was sort of in this same boat together. So uh, it, was, it was just a, a team experience that I'm very fortunate to have had in my life. Sounds like it was an amazing company. It was. Um, it led by amazing people, right? Uh, but the, the senior leadership team in particular, um, which is not to take away from anybody else because it took every, every component, uh, but the senior leadership team was so focused on making it a good place to work. I mean, we went, we went from zero to $111 million our first year. We were the fastest growing company in American history at the time. And then we were the fastest to a billion. Um, by the time I left, we went from no revenue to $15 billion in revenue and about 17,000 employees, and I was employee 104. So I was able to, to, to be part of that and to lead um, through that and certainly to grow and develop my own skills as well as those of my team. Uh, it, was, it was amazing. There's just not another word. That's, it sounds absolutely incredible. So what were some of the things that, that made the senior leadership team um, so, uh, so well-defined to be able to really be, have it be about being a great working place. What were some of the things that, that make that stand out? Yeah. So the, the leadership team all came from larger company and, um, they had worked in, in an environment that I would say didn't nurture people, um, as well as, uh, perhaps compact compact did. And, and certainly we had more opportunity there because we were a smaller company and it was easier to get things done. Um, but the president and the founder CEO, Rod Canyon, who, who is an amazing individual, um, was so vigilant to make sure that the culture uh, didn't get in our way, but it supported us. Uh, in addition to being a great product visionary, and we had an amazing product market fit. And for, for anybody, I mean, that's like table stakes, right? You have to have the product market fit. But I think the thing that, that gets in the way of many companies is they don't have the culture to go along with that, to support it so that their sort of internal strategies support their external growth. And Rod was, was vigilant, Rod Canyon, uh, who was the, one of the founders, he was vigilant about office politics, making sure that those did not come into play. And if there was a whiff of it, he stamped it out. Uh, he rewarded the behaviors that counted and he was really wow. good at disincenting the behaviors that didn't. Uh, and he, um, he, uh, good intent. He, he believed, he believed everything everybody did was with good intent until proven otherwise. So there was an assumption of good intent. And so, I mean, many of the strategies that I've used now in my subsequent work um, came from the foundation that I, I was able to gather compact as part of this team. It actually sounds like he was uh, very much a visionary and way ahead of his time for, in a lot of respects. Yes, uh, I think that's true, uh, and it still is today in many ways. He's recently written a book called Open that was made into a movie that I got to be part of, a documentary called Sil oh. Silicon Cowboys, which you can find on Netflix or iTunes. Uh, 
Uh, it's a little camp, but it's uh, it's really good. And it, to talk about what was going on at that period of time in the tech industry and sort of our struggle against IBM and what that was like, as they were the behemoth in the space. Uh, Absolutely. And, and of course, we had no idea we were going to grow so fast uh, and, and always looking over our shoulder to make sure that uh, that IBM wasn't going to sort of squish us in some ways. So. Yeah. <laughs> Well, um, and so since then you've had your, it's one team consulting, right? Mm -hmm. Isn't it the company? Yeah. You work with a lot of uh, senior CEOs and senior management or executives. Um, is the philosophy that you learned at Compact, is that something you try to instill in other leaders or do you? Definitely. it's It underpins everything that I do. Um, and it's part of why I knew that I wanted to do this kind of work. So I left Compaq after 14 years. I took a little sabbatical to figure out what I wanted to do next because I was too busy at Compaq to sort it out. Uh, and I met my now husband uh, and business partner who is, I'm an engineer, he's a PhD psychologist. And he was working with CEOs at doing um, leadership development work. And so we come at things from very different places, right? psychology and engineering. Uh, but between us, um, just an amazing sort of 360 view of what goes on in an organization. So I learned a lot there. And then I had this Columbia program. Uh, and so I've, I, be, I began working with other CEOs and senior leaders and organizations. And the, the goal there really is to help them create these internal strategies to support their external growth. Because what happens in growth companies, and I work with growth companies, uh, primarily tech, but not exclusively, but all focused on growth, is that your sales can outpace your ability to deliver on that promise that you've made to your customers. And so really working on the tools, processes, and behaviors to make that happen. Uh, and in the book, I lay out a number of strategies that I think are essential for that. And I, I don't I have, have one of those, but I wish I did. In the background, <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> anyway, um, so tell me a little bit about how did No Dumbing Down come to be? Oh, great. And yeah. uh, I love the title. I absolutely love the title. Thank you. I'm going to show a little leg here. This is, uh, this is No Dumbing Down. I, um, it was a labor of love and uh, more labor, <laughs> or, uh, but um, I'm very happy. I didn't know that I was going to write a book. It's uh, clearly been a number of years since I left Compact, but I, um, I just decided I had this, um, these learnings that I had and that I would like to find a way to get them to more people. And also just writing a book helps you sort of codify within yourself what your processes are, what those essentials are. And so the whole process of, um, the labor of the love of writing the book um, was really useful to me. Um, so um, it's been very recently published, but it, it helped me understand that, you know, there are like, you know, five underlying principles to all of the work that I do. And no dumbing down itself is one of those principles. Uh, and no dumbing down uh, really has to do with um, sort of this thing that I think we've all experienced. Uh, and it is one of the major ways that we get in our own way. It's one of the major reasons that these internal strategies get misaligned and they misfire and we get in our way, as I said. So um, no dumbing down in its essence, dumbing down is about teamwork as usual. And it's something I think we've all experienced. Right? In my work with my corporate clients, when I walk in and I say, tell me about the worst team you've ever been on, you know, I can tell you 80% of what they're gonna say because we all know what teamwork as usual feels like and looks like. And 
it's, you know, we go to the big meeting and somebody gives us some, a little bit of training and, you know, we do trust falls and that sort of thing. And then we're supposed to go work together in teams and, and people get their hopes up and they try really hard to make this happen. And so maybe for a little bit, things do get better, but then we revert back to our old behaviors and then we stop, you know, conflicts start coming up and they're not resolved or, you know, decisions get made in a way that's not the appropriate way for that kind of decision. And, you know, people stop showing up and eventually the team just becomes a tar pit. And the, the problem with that beyond we're wasting a lot of potential, both from the individual standpoint as well as the team standpoint, is that your A players do not want to work in a tar pit. And so they stop contributing, they stop showing up, they begin to avoid the meetings, uh, they want to be able to shine and do their A player stuff. And if it's not fixed, they will exit the company. Uh, and I have seen it time and time again. Um, and so that's really the, the essence of, of dumbing down. And uh, the, the no dumbing down is how to avoid that in the book. So so what is a, a good tip you think? I work with a lot with both uh, mid-sized to small mm -hmm. entrepreneurs, um, a, a lot of the real estate industry and where there's teams. And yeah. Small, small boutique agencies as well as large, large organizations. Yeah. Um, is there is there a tip you can give that would kind of apply across the board? No Absolutely. What the and since you mentioned real estate, I mean, know that the largest part of what I did at Compact was corporate real estate. I did about a billion dollars of cap expense uh, in real estate all over the world while I was there. Uh, and so I have a sweet spot in my heart <laughs> for people who are in the real estate field. Um, I mean, there are a number of things, but I would say one is definitely that we need to value process as well as content. So it's not just that things get done, it's how they get done. Because in any organization, you want things to be done in a way that is uh, coherent uh, and congruent with the values that you set for your organization. And you also want uh, most things to be done in a way that's replicable and scalable so they don't have to be thought about time and time again. You're not constantly reinventing the wheel. So when you value uh, process as well as content, you can put processes in place to deal with most of those. And that leaves you, the senior leader, with the time and the mind space to, to really apply yourself to those things that aren't replicable, that do need to have the problem solved by you. And I think that's a, that's a, a big tip for anybody. Um, and the, the other thing um, I would say just out of, uh, out of all of the answers to that question are, um, the, the sort of notice what's going on, really be vigilant for, uh, for dumbing down in the organization. And when you see it, you have to stamp it out because if you don't, your organization will always pay attention to what the senior leader does. And if you let something go, they will assume that that's okay. Wow. And then, and then you will start getting those kinds of behaviors because it, there's no reason not to, not to give them, not to take the shortcut uh, not to, you know, whatever it is that is uh, causing the organization to dumb down. And the other thing about dumbing down is just to remember that the team can only function at the level of its weakest link, right? The lowest performing member is, is what happens, right? If there are high flyers and there are low performing members, these people have to dumb down to this level. And so you need to make sure that on your teams that people are sort of in the same realm uh, right. of skill set. And not just technical skill set, but skill sets in terms of their ability to work together interpersonally as a team, to solve conflicts, to make decisions, uh, to, to make sure that their priorities are in sync, to have goals that are congruent with one another. 
And those things are really important in terms of getting your organization to, to hum. So um, if you have a problem, you've, your, your team is already dumbing down. Yes. <laughs> how do you how do you put the skids on it? <laughs> yeah. Well, the very, the first thing is to make sure you're not doing it yourself, right? Because if you are, everybody else will take that as permission, uh, and that that happens, right? When you when you hire people who aren't quite up to par, because you just need someone to fill the seat, or right. you um, you start rewarding those behaviors that you don't want, and then to look at your senior team and really to create a high performance team there. And once you have a high-performing senior team, the rest of the organization, you know, it's, I won't say it's a piece of cake, uh, but you can, you, can, you can get the rest of the organization sort of on the same page. But if your senior team is not performing in the, in the way that, um, that, uh, that uses all their potential and it demands it, because that's what A players do, uh, the rest of the organization won't be doing it. So that's the place I would focus. Uh, mm -hmm. If you have it in your organization, make sure you sort of stamp it out at the top and then, and then you can work on the rest of uh, the whatever's going on in the rest of the employees and the functions. Well, um, kick butt leadership is kick butt. I started using the word term kick butt because uh, it's really about mindfulness mm -hmm. and creating a good vision for yourself as well as your team. Yeah, great. And I noticed you did a podcast on uh, business visioning. Can you mm -hmm. give us a couple? Because I think that's really where. Uh, wouldn't you agree? That's really where it starts to have the the right direction. Is absolutely. Yeah. Vision. If, you, if you don't have a clear, co coherent vision, uh, then you know, as I say, if you don't know where you're going, that's where you'll end up. Um, and yeah. I, you know, sort of at the base of my work is making sure that that leaders know they have conscious choices about things, uh, in terms of how they lead and congruency. Uh, and so if you start with the vision of where you're going to go, um, and by that, I mean, you know, you don't have to have a 15-year where the organization's going, you know, in a binder that you put on the shelf back here, right? Right. Um, you, you need to know, you need to know your product, you need to know your market, you need to know that intersection, and then you need to have a, a clear vision of how you're going to get there, uh, at least over the next few years. And then you just step that back, Right so that you know what you're going to do in this year that's going to move you in that direction. I think of that as directionally correct, right? And like we know that. that that is never going to be a straight line. I, no one in the history that I'm aware of of the universe has gone <laughs> from where they are to where they want to go in a straight line. But what we have to do is we have to create to say, okay, this is where we want to go. This is what straight line would look like. Um, if we grow faster than we think we're going to grow, what's sort of this upper limit that we set for ourselves? So that when we get there, we know that we will be straining our organization in a way that it cannot keep up. And we can consciously at that point decide what we're going to do. Are we going to continue to let that growth happen? Or are we going to find ways to sort of shore up uh, the internal workings of the organization to support it, which might mean slowing the growth down a bit. Conversely, what's the downside, right? How, how, how off that line can we get on the downside uh, before we need to make some sort of corrections? And if you know ahead of time sort of where those guardrails are for yourself, um, then you'll be able to run the organization, I think, in a much more efficient manner. Uh, and in, um, in, the, in the book, I, I talk about that and sort of ways to, to set those guardrails. I, I call it playing bumper cars, 
right? Because we know it's not going to be a straight line and that things are going to come along and sort of knock us off path one way or the other. And uh, whichever way it is, we want to have a guardrail to sort of bring us back towards center. Oh, I love that idea of a guardrail and bumper cars. Boy, many, many times I felt like I was in a bumper car. <laughs> right, without the rail, right? So we're just exactly. right, we're fla- and you're flailing and you never want your organization, even if you're not, you never want your, your organization to feel like you're flailing. Yeah. If there is a conflict between a couple of your senior leadership, mm-hmm. um, what yes. would be a good way? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you've never had this experience. Um, <laughs> uh, what would be a good way to overcome that conflict or to find a resolution? Yeah. So the first thing is to understand the roots of the conflict. And, uh, you know, as we were alluding, this happens all the time. And conflict, you know, is just part of human relationships. If there's no conflict or you're not aware of any conflict, something else is going on. So, um, you know, you, you want your management team to have a good fight and to have some conflict. Uh, but they have to know how to do it. So the first thing is understanding sort of uh, what causes conflict. And that's, you know, that's values, that's priorities, that is different ways of getting things done, for example. Um, It's not, uh, and sometimes people just for whatever reason don't like each other. You definitely have seen that. Um, So it's understanding sort of what's at the, what's the root cause of that conflict. And sometimes there are things you can, you can just fix right away, like priorities, right? Oftentimes, we always work in our best self-interest, so making sure that the best self-interest of both parties are aligned. And once you've done that, often that will solve the conflict and they can move together in partnership the way that cross-functional teams should. Um, If that doesn't solve the problem, um, you know, there's some other steps you can take. I think one is um, I use a model called the Thomas Kilman conflict model. Uh, which looks at, um, gets to essentially five different ways to, to re- react to a conflict. Um, and it looks at a, you know, sort of looking at your own needs versus the needs of others. And oh, the wow. five, and there are five positions that fall out of that. And what we tend to do, going back to the childhood again, is we tend to use the conflict method that we learned at home, right? So like in my household, we didn't have any conflict. Well, that's not true. We had a lot of conflict because families do. But uh, so, but our, our method was sort of to avoid it or to accommodate it. Uh, my husband and partner's family was sort of this big, loud Irish family. And, and uh, they had, uh, they were sort of more, I think, collaborating and competing, right? Depending on what was going on. Um, and so when we got together, right, we had that sort of clash because we had different ways of dealing with conflict. And so oftentimes just understanding, hey, I don't have to use the method that I grew up with. I should use the method that's appropriate to the conflict that I'm in now. And so by doing that, that will, um, nine times out of 10, that will resolve the conflict if it didn't resolve by aligning those priorities and goals. So that's two ways. Wow. What's the name of that method again? It's called Thomas Kilman, two guys, Thomas and Kilman. And okay. it's K-I-L-M-A-N, and T-H-O-M-A-S, Thomas-Kilman. I think that might be very, very beneficial for many people to to take a look at because uh, I think one of the most difficult things as a leader, um, whether you're in a big organization or a small organization, is when problems do arise and when there is conflict, uh, most of us really don't have a clue on how to really uh, handle it and, and how to get out of it without it maybe getting worse. Exactly. We do not come out of the womb knowing these things, or at least that's true for most of us. <laughs> I'd like to know that person that does. 
<laughs> so, so tell us a little bit more about what's in the book. I, I, I love the book. So, oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, so there are these different strategies about um, how to keep your internal um, your internal strategies aligned. So there's the whole no dumbing down thing. There's a strategy I call double back. So if we think about a continuum from startup to grown up, and for most of us, we think, oh yeah, that's a linear one way street, right? We go from startup, we want to go to grown up, uh, but actually. You can. You don't want to. You don't. You want to be able to have the right reaction to the situations that's in front of you. You don't want to get stuck in grown-up mode. And by grown-up, I mean sort of when we think about a big grown-up company, um, that is a company that has a lot of processes in place. And too often we apply. We over-apply process, and it definitely happens uh, for most companies who are in grown-up mode. And so even if something requires more of a startup response, uh, we might apply process. And one of the places that shows up is um, I do a lot of M&A work. And my, my brother, uh, who's also in tech, uh, we were talking one day and he said, we don't have an M&A department, we have an M&D department. I said, okay, you got me, what's M&D? And he said, we don't, we don't uh, do M&A, we do merge and destroy. And that is, this, he, was, he had been bought you know, by this big company and he said, we, now we systematically buy these companies because we want you know, what they've got going on, not just the product, but the people and the way they do it, and then we destroy it. Because we over-apply process to this sort of thriving entrepreneurial, instead of turning it to entrepreneurial, we just squash it with process. And um, that's, I think that's why you see so many of these uh, tech founders and startups uh, leaving once they get acquired by big companies. Uh, so, so that's one thing, sort of the startup to grown up and back again. Um, another thing is the bumper cars that I talked about earlier. Uh, and then there's this idea of, I call it levitating, but it's taking time to think, right? Oh, because wow. that's one thing that none of us do enough of. And certainly senior leaders in the organization do not do. We get so caught up in the urgent that we don't take time to step back and look at the stuff that's not urgent, but really important. And, uh, you know, so we think, okay, well, we have our annual strategy retreat. And so, well, that's not enough. Uh, and if you don't put it on your calendar, no one else is going to do that for you because no one else thinks it's important, right? They want you to solve their problem. Uh, but if you can take a step back, make sure that you get time on your calendar to think. And for some people, you know, I, they need a half a day a week. Some people take a day a month. Some people have it on. As long as it's rhythmic and it's on your calendar, uh, you could fall into it and, and make it work. Um, so this time to think is really important. And then lastly, an accountability structure. Because oh, wow. we've, all, we've all read books or we've gone to seminars or workshops where we had, wow, that was amazing. And then you get back and your computer's got like 600 more email messages on it or everybody's lined up at the door to come in when you get back. And so we don't do anything with it. And so the, the accountability structure, both for yourself, but also for your team to hold itself accountable uh, it's as important as anything else that you do. Wow. Wow. Um, one of the things that I, I love that you talk about is that um, you have to, maybe you have to get your infrastructure, your, before maybe you don't increase sales. Because so many times when companies are growing, right. they they think, okay, we just need to keep increasing sales and not and not have the infrastructure. And then also here, now you're talking about how um, maybe you have too many processes, maybe from because of where you're coming from. So how do you, how do you find a, a, a good balance? I mean, is there, a, is there a formula? Is there 
a secret sauce to to finding out how to find that balance between processes and infrastructure and sales? Yeah, so um, two things I would say there. One is that, I mean, I'm all for sales, right? Sales are amazing. Right. If we don't have any sales, we don't have you know, no margin, no mission question, right? right? Um, so it's not about not having sales, but recognizing that all revenue is not good revenue. I know that's going to oh, be an anthem wow. to a lot of people. Can you say that one more time, please? <laughs> all revenue is not good revenue. And, and the stuff that's not good revenue is, is the stuff that costs you more than you're going to make. And uh, sometimes you want to do that, right, for some strategic reason. I really want this organization, you know, to be a reference for me or I'm getting into a new space and I, you know, I need to break in or, you know, it's a conscious decision to do that. But oftentimes we just take sales because they come at us and we're not conscious about that. We don't think about it. So, um, so that's, that's the first thing. And then on this uh, idea of how much process is too much process and when, um, that's the stuff you have to think about, right? Uh, you, have to, you have to think about do I have something that is scalable and replicable that mm -hmm. I need in order to grow? And if so, how do I turn it into a utility? How do I do it so that I can flip the switch, the light goes on, and I don't have to think about it? And uh, if it's not that kind of situation, don't put a process on it. If it's the Absolutely. stuff that is like one-off that needs to be thought about and responded to, then you, you definitely don't, I mean, you can have a process, but it needs to be a pretty broad process as opposed to something that's really scripted. Well, wow, that is, that's a, a true nugget right there because um, I've been involved with lots of organizations where either either they were pushing the sales and they didn't have the the, the infrastructure in place or there was all, it was all processed and no sales. So. Right, right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I see it all the time in companies. And, you know, I mean, Compaq, um, to go back to that for a minute, was conceived as a big company in the formative stages. So we, we, we knew we were gonna be big, we wanted to be big, and so we put processes in place, but they were never things, or not never, they were rarely things that, uh, that really held us back. Uh, they were the kinds of things that were supportive as we grew. Oh, I love that word supportive because that's, isn't that really that's what- the process is supposed to do. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. exactly. So, um, well, since kickbutt leadership is all about mindfulness, I think support is one of the major words um, that plays a key role in how you are a great leader. Mm -hmm. And reflecting back on the people you've known in your life, and not just the people at Compact, but other people, um, it, it probably is that they they were supportive and that they were uplifting and that they were um, in in the in the mindset of. Uh, being helpful to others in order to have a good team. Is that right? Am I right well, about that? I would say you can be a good leader in almost any framework and people self-select into the kind of uh, organizations they want to work in, right? There are really good leaders who are very authoritarian, right? And people who want to work in a more authoritarian structure thrive in that. And so you that can be sense. a good leader sure. that way, right? The kinds of leaders that I prefer to work with and so, yes, the leaders that I would say, yeah, these are amazing leaders are people who are more, um, um, I call them almost enlightened leaders, uh, but they, they, for the people that they attract, uh, they're, they're, they're sort of this partnership about making sure that, that the, the people get what they want out of the organization. And that's often a chance to grow and develop uh, in addition to, to making money. 
uh, and uh, and the, th the leader and the organization get from the employee what they want. There's a terrific book called The Alliance by Reid Hoffman, uh, which talks about something called the tour of duty. And uh, I have several CEOs I work with who sit down with their employees until the organizations get too big and then the next layer staff does it, but the conversations happen. And the question is, what do you want out of this organization over the next year or two? And here's what the organization needs from you. And let's figure out how to make sure that's a match. Wow. Right? Wow, yeah. I talk about that quite a bit in my Kickbutt Leadership course mm. because um, I, I really feel that you, you need to be able to have buy-in from everybody Mm -hmm. and, and and that helps to avoid conflict. So um, I, I, I'm sure I am the same as you, where I, I want to work with organizations and with other leaders that are uh, enlightened, as I think is a good word for it. So, yeah. well, Karen, we've, we're out of time. Oh. Um, I, I probably could talk to you about this for a couple hours. There's been a great conversation. I'm going to have to go back and listen to it probably two or three times because you gave so much really, really good information. Well, thank you, Tom. Uh, is your book on Amazon? My book is available anywhere online you want to buy it, including Amazon. It's on Barnes and Noble. Barnes um, and Noble, all of them. Wonderful. Yeah, well, I, I I haven't finished it yet. I just I just got it the other day, and and so I've started reading it. And I can yeah. tell you that it doesn't matter whether you're the CEO of a great big company, um, uh, you know, a, a Fortune 500 or a Fortune 200, or if you are a entrepreneur that. Uh, it's you, yourself, and, and, and you. <laughs> That's because. right. And, and in fact, the audience for this, while it is for senior leaders, clearly, um, definitely other people in the organization will benefit from it because that will help them grow their own leadership skills in addition to knowing what the senior leaders are thinking about. The other place to get the book is to go to nodumbingdown.com, which, oh, cool. uh, which, will, which will lead you um, onto Amazon, actually, to purchase the book. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I highly recommend it to everyone. And Karen, thank you so much for taking this time out of your crazy busy schedule. And I really appreciate the conversation. Thank you so much, Connie. I really appreciate it. And um, I hope it's really useful for your audience. If they want more, they can find me at karenwalker.us. Thanks. Nice tech stuff and your website and everything in the in the comments. So terrific. Well, this is Connie Myers with another fabulous conversation. Um, I will be back actually on Thursday with another conversation with a gentleman by the name of Ron Carusi. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. And um, I hope that you have a fabulous day and uh, be a kick butt leader.